Good afternoon, good evening. I'm Dove Tuzman and you're on equal footing. And we are addressing a really sensitive subject tonight that has intersected with a few friends' lives recently for me. And so I've kind of gotten some uh, exposure to it through that and then have gone down the rabbit hole researching this, talking to lawyers and clinical social workers and Parents of people have been subject to this. What are we talking about? We're talking about the court-appointed legal representation of children, in particularly in family court in the United States. It's shocking. It was shocking for me to learn that in some states, representation of children, not only theoretical but practical, meaning interaction between the lawyers and the child, occurs in certain states as early as three years old. Almost all states have some rules in family court around this concept of guardian ad litem. We'll talk about that term more. But it's basically a guardian of the court, but it's a lawyer. It's not a social worker. It's not a child psychologist, but a lawyer who takes the responsibility of representing a child in lots of matters, criminal and civil and most often in family court. So let's narrow this down a little bit and give you a sense of why I think any parent listening to this, and especially someone who's gone through a divorce, maybe has a child that has had mental health issues, has dealt with guardianship, substance abuse, other kinds of situations, all of which can ultimately lead to a guardian ad litem situation. Why should you care? This affects in the vicinity each year in the United States as many as 25 million families. Divorce in the United States is very prevalent. You're talking about, in line with much of the developed worlds, divorce rates uh, depending on uh, demographics and, and uh, region of the country, but in the vicinity of a half of marriages end in divorce. And of those, more than two-thirds, there is some form of uh, custody um, decision. And in that, in of those, nearly two-thirds have some sort of legal involvement. So you're talking about, I guess, statistically, if you get married, you've got about a one-fifth to one-quarter chance that you end up in court with the person you're marrying in relation to a child. And when that happens, there's a decent chance that your child, if under 18, and again, as young as a toddler, and even younger, but that's a little bit different because you don't have actual interaction between the lawyer and the child, will be assigned a lawyer. And you lose as a parent a lot of the autonomy around the, the the decisioning, the advocacy, and effectively you've now got three parties at least. Let's let's, let's take the example of a, of a couple having one child. But you could have multiple children. And in the case especially where those children come from different uh, parents, different spouses, like a there's a, a former 
spouse and you have children from two different two different spouses with the uh, the mother for example you could end up with various different guardians so you now go from a custody battle or discussion put it lightly between two people to a tripartite or three-way process i didn't know that i've never gone through i have a daughter i've died we've not had any issues given my my situation with um custody issues but this is a prevalent issue it's an issue that's so painful for parents that often it's not spoken about many parents are afraid to advocate for fear that in so doing they'll impact the court's uh view in their particular situations so you're not allowed to talk about it as it's happening and most parents don't deal with guardian ad litem situations until it happens. Okay, we do have a guest tonight. This is a two-part series. So we're going to start with the client side, the parental view. What happens when you're in family court and a lawyer is assigned to your child and how that works? What what do they interact with the child? How do they interact with the child? What happens to your relationship with the child? And next week, we'll take the perspective of the lawyers and the social workers that are doing the best they can to advocate for children. I'm joined tonight by a very brave uh, guest. I will say right out, out of the box that she's not using a real name. She's in an active uh, legal battle. So for her own protection or for her children's protection, she's not using a real name. On the show, we're going to call her Amy, Amy Martin. And Amy Martin is a mother of five, she has children ranging from one years old to 19 years old. She lives in rural Pennsylvania. She grew up in Tucson, Arizona. She graduated with an associate's in occupational science from the Prima Medical Institute in 2006. She does outpatient skilled nursing in, uh, in clinical settings and home health settings. And she enjoys various physical activities ranging from kayaking to aerial yoga. She's a very active person. Her life has been completely disrupted and interrupted by a current custody battle and trial over custody of two of her youngest children, ages seven and one. That's an active process that's ongoing. And the family court recently appointed a lawyer, guardian ad litem, get to the, we'll talk more about what that really means in the law, to represent her seven-year-old's voice in the matter. So, Amy, welcome to Equal Footing, and thank you so much for your bravery of being on, especially while this is going on actively in your life. Thank you for having me, though. Amy, start by explaining to us what what's going on. You recently, as I understand it, discovered this concept that that you no longer, in many senses, have autonomy, and neither does your 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 daughter's father, really over your child's destiny. All of a sudden, there's someone else advocating for your, for your child. Just give us a little bit of a understanding of how that happened and what's, what's actually going on on the ground. So both of us, we have been unable to come to a uh, an agreement, obviously. That's why we're in court. And the court just said, you know, we're going to appoint a lawyer to your daughter so that way she has a say in this. We someone to represent her side of the story and have some input into what's going to be the outcome of this. And so from there, the first time she met with my daughter, I had to bring her into the office. We talked for a little bit, uh, a few minutes with me 
in the room with her, and then I was asked to step out of the room to so she could have a private conversation with my daughter, who was actually six at the time. And that off the bat, I think, is just unnerving. It's really unsettling. It, essentially, this is a stranger that is coming in, and it, it just felt very intrusive. Now, this that's way I could, my, I could describe under- that. So based on our some of our pregame discussions, Amy, and I've spoken to a number of uh, parents in preparing for the show and lawyers and social workers, to some extent, it, it ends up being a surprise for most parents. Did you have a heads up before? Yeah. Did, did, did someone advise you that, that, that you, your, your child was going to be pulled out of school to, to speak to a lawyer? No. No. The second time that she had talked to her, I wasn't notified of when, where, uh, that this was all taking place. Okay, the first time was in the and context then, of, disco- of discovery or a, or a pre, pre-trial prep correct. report. And the correct. second time, to be clear, your seven-year-old child just goes to school, and mm-hmm. and what, what, what happens? I don't want to put words in your mouth. I just, the, you, the, 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 the guardian, the, the lawyer just shows up at school at a random hour? Well, to be, so here's, here's how I found out about it. We had a virtual pre-trial um, her lawyer was there, my lawyer was there, and the third-party lawyer was there. And she says, yes, I talked to Audrey. She's telling me this, that, and the other. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And even my lawyer was taken aback, like, well, when did you talk to her? Why weren't we notified that you talked to her? It was just um, really off, off-putting. And I felt like she just had so much to say, and it was very um, one-sided, I think. Um, and, and, and from a seven-year-old, you know, is, is she really going to know what is in her best interest at this time? And, and I felt like her voice really held a lot of weight in that in that moment. Yeah, we're going to come back to the relationship between an adult lawyer and a child and how that conversation uh, mm-hmm. goes. Uh, let, let's, let's contextualize Amy's experience for others. Uh, so in all but two of the United States, uh, my understanding is there are fairly robust guardian ad litem laws. Again, guardian ad litem is a, ad litem is a Latin term that means just for the purposes of, the, of a particular legal proceeding. It's a guardian that a court appoints to watch after someone during a case. doesn't have to be a child. Sometimes it's done for people, for example, that for mental health reasons are uh, not mm-hmm. able to be competent to represent themselves or be trusted to make choices for themselves. Um, it can happen for elderly people with dementia. Uh, in fact, there was a movie that's kind of brought this into the popular, you know, you know, this type of thing happens often. These really intractable, difficult issues get brought into the national conversation through through popular entertainment. And there was a very successful movie uh, that came out, I think, beginning of this year called I Care A Lot. And it was uh, kind of a, uh, it's actually a good movie uh, about a kind of seemingly saintly entrepreneur who, in fact, is quite devilish. She, she runs a thriving business as a court-appointed guardian for elderly individuals. And so this ha- doesn't just happen for children. It happens for also people, for example, that are in a coma, God forbid, or can't can't represent themselves. So the, the, this concept of a guardian ad litem, a legal guardian appointed by the court, who is a lawyer, I want to be clear, not a social worker, not a psychologist, uh, is a lawyer – it has, and we'll get back to the requirements of, if any, with respect to these, the guardians training. Uh, they, this goes back hundreds of years. This concept used to be called a ward. You can still call it that. It's, it's a ward of the, uh, the court. It, it, sometimes children in foster care, for example, that don't have a parent 
or an available parent will get a ward or, or a child has parents that are incarcerated, for example, for example, God forbid. So this happens across a lot of different contexts. I want to narrow, though, here in our conversation, Amy, and for listeners, to the family court context um, and, you know, what actually happens. Now, Amy, you, you've done some research, as you're entitled to do, on the, the, the lawyer in your case. And I'll get to this, the state statutes in a moment. Cause this is state governed guys. Like this, the family court is a state matter, not a, uh, not a federal issue. So this is state by state. And we'll get to some of the, the weirdness of that. How different the rules are state by state. Now, now this, sorry, this was in Pennsylvania or New York in your case, Amy. This is in New York. Okay. So you live in Pennsylvania, but the case was brought in New York. Now. Correct. It, in, in New York, you disagree. Does your does does the lawyer for your seven year old girl have any social work background? I don't believe so. Though all I've been able to find out about her is that she is a lawyer in the Monticello area. Um, I haven't seen any any other extent other than that. Okay. Yeah, based on the research that we did as well, there there isn't any evidence of any social worker background in this particular individual's right. case. And is there and are you aware of any uh child psychologist or social worker involved with this lawyer with your daughter at this juncture? No. Right. So there's, there's none of that. So we're on equal footing t- uh, tonight, we're talking about, we've, we've titled this show The End of the Innocence, and because it's so heartbreaking as the father of a nine-year-old girl to think about this. This is when courts appoint lawyers for children and family court matters and the autonomy of the parents in the process with the relation to their child in many respects disappears at that moment. And now you're uh, you're dealing with the lawyer who's now inter- interacting with your child and some of those important decisions in that child's life. And... Here's a shocker. In less than 20% of the states of the union, and as I said before, almost all of the states, all but two, have very strict guardian ad litem or ward laws around assigning lawyers for children in family court. In only a, in, in, in less, excuse me, in approximately 20% of those states, there are rules that require the lawyer to also have a child psychologist or clinical social worker with with experience working with children to be present with the lawyer and to consult with the lawyer. So in the vast majority, in around 40 states of the union, you are just talking about a lawyer in right now. That lawyer may choose of his or her own volition to seek guidance from a social worker interacting with the child. But in many cases, there isn't the budget to do so. They're not incented to do so. It just complicates the matter. Then that that psychologist or social worker may be called to the stand. So in a large number of cases, they don't do that. And so in most cases where a lawyer is assigned to a child in family court, that child now interacts with that lawyer who may also be doing so on a maybe working on a pro bono basis, or excuse me, uh, as a volunteer paid by the court directly, often is the case in these where, where um, they're not, the parents can't afford or in many states they're not required to pay, so it has to be the lawyer. And that lawyer often comes from other fields of practice. Like, there's some shocking stuff here. We're going to take our first break. We're talking about the guardian ad litem system, the court-assigned legal representation for children. In the case of the brave Amy Martin, we're not using a real name, because she's in an active custody uh, trial battle. 
uh, who's on the call on the on the show tonight talking about this very uh, complex issue. Call and participate. Talk about your own stories. 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. Or you can text a question. Definitely recognize that this is a super sensitive subject for many of you. You want to protect the identity views as a, as a caller, your children, of course. You can call in anonymously. You don't have to say your name, just like Amy participating in the show, not using her real name. Uh, you can also, of course, say your name if you want to. You're also welcome to call in. If you're a lawyer or social worker, we're going to get your perspective next week in this two-part series. You can also text a question, attributed or anonymously, to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. And we'll be right back. Are you coming again now? I've been waiting for you to come rescue me. Footing with me, Dove Tuzman, is brought to you in part by DocuVax. And DocuVax is a wonderful tool if you're a parent or a small business owner or even a school administrator. It's a digital medical locker on your smartphone or your laptop that allows individuals to store all their basic medical data and get that data validated and even share it for particular purposes, like your child registering for school, taking on a new job, or you're required to have certain screenings or vaccines uh, in place, even getting into a restaurant or a music venue. These days, it's so critical to have your medical data at hand. And, you know, a lot of people don't feel comfortable using a lot of states. You know, here in New York, we have the Excelsior system. You're kind of handing over your medical data to the government. The government doesn't own your medical data. Your doctor doesn't even own your medical data. Certainly your insurance company does not own your medical data. You own your medical data. So have it in a secure place. DocuVax provides a secure HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility, uses a QR code, proprietary QR code access system so you can share what you want and only what you want out of your medical file with a new doctor, a new school, a new job, a restaurant, whatever it may be. It costs less than $10 per month. The basic plan is only $6.99 per month. And as a subscriber to DocuVax, you can privately access all of your medical records 24 hours a day and 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. You have medical professionals, doctors and nurses on call to validate a vaccine record, a blood test, or anything else in your medical locker. Your medical data is never accessible unless you as an individual subscriber decide you want to share it using a QR code system on your phone with someone else. Your data is always secure. Call 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933 to sign up for DocuVax or go to DocuVax.com. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com. Or find the DocuVax app on your iPhone or your Android phone. And just put in DocuVax, D-O-C-U-V-A-X. And if you want a group discount, let's say you're a small business and you want to provide a way that protects your employees and consultants' privacy, but also helps them keep up to date with vaccines or preventative screenings, 
etc., you can get group discounts. Mention that you heard about DocuVax on Equal Footing and call 833-859-1933. Take control of your medical records. Sign up for DocuVax. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on We're back on Equal Footing. We're talking about court-appointed legal representation of children. We have a mother of four on the line, Amy Martin. She has a seven-year-old girl that was just appointed a a lawyer by the court. I've been talking a lot. Amy, what what is this lawyer talking to your daughter about? And what what are you allowed now to talk to your daughter about? Are you disallowed to, to talk about certain things? What's going on? I'm... She's, I have a lot to talk to her about anything, really. Um, she's allowed to talk to her lawyer about anything. And her lawyer doesn't have to tell us what she says. Um, she just takes into everything what my daughter is telling her, which as a seven-year-old, you know, they, they love to talk about all kinds of things. And um, not always, it's, 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 it's not always accurate. Sometimes, you know, she's, talking about simple, innocent things, and then sometimes she's talking about more serious things. So what are some of the lawyer... specific questions that, you, that, that this, this lawyer is, is asking your, your, your seven-year-old girl? She asks where she goes to school, uh, who her friends are, uh, what she likes to do at home, does she have brothers and sisters, what does she like to do with them, um, you know, what's her favorite subject in school? Does she have any hobbies? Um, is there anything that makes her feel, you know, um, scared or unsafe? Or and, and, you know, that's how she starts with, like, really basic, just nonchalant questions, get, getting to know her, and then we'll ask her maybe a little bit more in-depth questions in regards to her home life. Yeah, so uh, we've already gotten some listener feedback. Please participate if you have a child that's been appointed a, uh, a lawyer in in family court, or if you know of this this type of that dynamic. I do want to point out one listener has correctly pointed out, and want to make sure that they were conveying information accurate, accurately. The guardian ad litem, like the ward that a court assigns to a child, in this case, we're talking about a family court situation. Doesn't have to be a lawyer; they can be another individual. But I do want to be clear that when there's a legal process, that guardian hires a lawyer. So it, it, often the case is that the lawyer is directly assigned as a matter of convenience, especially when there's a uh, dispute between the parents and they can't agree on a ward. I would, there are many parties that argue that the a non-lawyer ward is even worse when it's assigned by the court because what ends up happening is that that's what that movie I care a lot is about. You have folks that kind of get embedded with local judges and local in a local county somewhere. And all of a sudden they have, you know, dozens or hundreds of people that their ward, that there are their wards. Um, and that can lead to abuses. So you know, yes, the, the, the first person to sign is the garden at them. You're right. Listener does not have to be a lawyer, but in family court, they then have to assign a lawyer. So you end up at the same spot. We already have a number of text people sharing their own experiences. April, one of the things that I was, you know, when pre-gaming with you on this topic, and I, again, want to commend you for being, I know this is really current and emotionally difficult for you. I thought as the father of a nine-year-old, I know that if I asked her, you know, where do you want to go to school? 
or what uh, after school activities do you want to do uh, or you know do you want to eat your uh, do you want to have broccoli and kale on a regular basis or whatever there, there are a lot of answers there that are not necessarily what we're going to decide as parents <laughs> you know you, she's still going to have her vegetables right, right. and she's still yeah. maybe going to you know piano lessons even if you know last week was a real tough you know tough class and so to, to what you know, what I understand from, from you, and, and feel free to walk this back, maybe maybe I misunderstood. What I understood is that the lawyer assigned to your seven-year-old child actually asked her where she wants to live and where she wants to go to school. Yes. Yes. Now, lawyers are, their profession is to persuade. In fact, I don't remember where I read this. Some listener helped me out with the quote is, but uh, lawyers are, are learned are learned to be um, talkers, not listeners. I've got this problem mm-hmm. tonight, too. <laughs> um, so, mm-hmm. the, you know, and I think all of us know that even up to, and it gets harder when they're teens, but a seven-year-old child talking to a professional persuader, you know, a parent even, but definitely a lawyer, can kind of get anywhere in a conversation. Um, All right. So what can you, would you mind sharing with the audience? Like what did, what did your daughter do? What did, what did she say when the lawyer said, where do you want to go to school? Where do you want to live? Well, according to her lawyer, because I wasn't, I wasn't there when this, when their conversation occurred, but according to the lawyer, she said that my daughter told her, that she wanted to stay uh, living with her father and going to school where she's been going to school, where all her friends are, and that she doesn't have any friends where mom lives now, which is, it's all, un, it's untrue. She she does, ha- in fact, have family and friends and a support system and all that where I'm living now. I just... It, it, it just felt like to me it was more like about timing. Like maybe if she had picked her up and talked to her after spending the weekend with me, maybe she would have had a different answer to those questions versus right. after spending some time with, you know, that's how I felt the situation occurred. I feel like to be fair, maybe she should have at least met with her a couple times at different uh, times and dates and asked the same question and, and see collectively what are we getting. Yeah, and I, I want to uh, just for folks that have not been through this, have people understand what the the, the what actually happens here because it's fast and loose. Only about, like I said, only ten or so. I think it's eleven states in the country have really specific rules about how the lawyer interacts with the child and wh- who else has to be present. So in this case, did you get a transcript of the conversation? No, I believe that would be a lawyer clients uh right. some kind of privilege right so you don't know privilege. no mm-hmm. ni- neither parent neither you nor her father knows what what's said in the in the room there's no it, it's protected by privilege right and right. you're as i understand it not allowed to communicate with the with the with the lawyer directly it has to be both you and the father is that correct um Rephrase that question. Are you? Do you communicate with your daughter's recently assigned lawyer? No, no, she has not been in communication with me recently. And if anything, it's just the it's just through my lawyer or when I see her at the next 
uh, court session. Every parent who's listening, absorb what Amy is is saying. And, and, and I want to be fair to you, Amy. Your experiences, every one of our parents' experiences is idiosyncratic. But I spoke to a number of parents who have gone through this in preparation for this show. And the common theme is something you touched on, which is for a small child, the context of the day is important. The answer that they'll give at three o'clock is any different than eight. <laughs> you know, the, the way they're people pleasers and someone actually wrote this. I'm going to read this, this, uh, this text before we go to the next break from, from, from a listener. You know, when an adult asks a child a question, the way they ask it, that you can imply that you want to get a certain answer and the child's going to try often to, to please you. Some, one parent is often a disciplinarian, another isn't. Does it, so a child's often going to want to be with the weekend parent, so to speak, maybe, than the weekday parent. So, this stuff is just mind-bogglingly disturbing to, to, to me. We're going to take a break in a minute, but I want to read, and, and Amy, I want you to listen carefully to this listener. I want to thank, I'm not going to mention this listener's name. She's asked not to use her name. She wrote a detailed note, uh, and she said uh, she thanks you for being on the show so bravely, Amy. She says, my experience in New York was brief, and it's to be continued next week, next week in court. So she's actively in this. But for now, I want to say that my child's appointed lawyer spent very little time with my child. It seemed to me that she did not have any mental health background or background in violence or different types of abuse or any specialization with with children in general. She did not reach out to any of my child's providers or teachers or therapists. She just let her conversation between her and the young child take precedence without any neutrality or neutral advisors that are directly in the child's life. Needless to say, I am not at all impressed. I was hoping my child's lawyer would be a child's voice, a voice of reason, a voice of protection, a voice that they don't have. I'm sorry. Therefore, I thought reaching out to the child's teachers, principals, counselors, parents, therapists would be a good and right avenue. Children are impulsive and they are people pleasers. What they say is not always really what they feel and what they want. They are still learning to use their toolbox of communication. We're talking on equal footing tonight about court-appointed legal representation of children, and particularly small children. Participate in the conversation. 718-303-9090 is the live call-in. You can do so mentioning your name or not. Our guest, Amy Martin, is not using her real name, so <laughs> you can do it that way. Or text a question or comment, as this listener just did, to 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. 
You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm joined with my guest, Amy Martin. We're on a show that we've called End of the Innocence. It's about court-appointed legal representation of children in family court in particular. And the American Bar Association, uh, the ABA is widely considered the uh, the standard setter when it comes to ethical and professional practice, uh, legal practice in the United States. There's a lot of discussion around this issue, about uh, children's guardianship and the responsibilities. And I just want to read to the audience directly here a couple of things from the ABA on this complex issue. Uh, the attorneys, whether they are personally obtained or court-appointed, and here we're talking about court-appointed attorneys for children, are there to do one thing, to zealously advocate for their clients' wishes, whatever those wishes may be. The attorney's view of the situation does not matter. They are there to represent their client. Okay. Grok for a moment for Star Trek fans. What the meaning of that? Can you imagine if our approach with, with, if you have like a five-year-old, a ten-year-old, if you said, okay, my role now as their guardian is to zealously advocate for their wishes at all times and my views don't matter as a parent? Imagine what that would look like for a sec. Okay. Well, the ABA knows that this is an issue when it comes to to children. Much less of an issue, although there's probably another show there about guardianship for elderly people with Alzheimer's, etc. But when looking at the ABA, I'm quoting again, when looking at the statutory duties given to guardians ad litem, or uh, you know, lawyers or folks that appoint lawyers for children in, in family court, throughout all 50 states in the District of Columbia, the most common responsibilities include the following. Advising the respondents of their rights. Okay? So a lawyer advising a child of their rights. A seven, I'm trying to imagine how that goes with a seven-year-old. Interviewing the respondent prior to the hearing. Again, a lawyer not necessarily with any social work experience interviewing a seven-year-old child in the case of Amy's daughter. Informing the respondent orally or in writing of the contents of the petition for guardianship. Also wondering how that conversation goes with a seven-year-old. Recommending whether the, this is in the case where the lawyer hasn't already been hired, recommending whether, whether the respondent should be represented by legal counsel in the following proceeding. Often this is done automatically. That makes sense to me, talking about with a seven-year-old about whether they need a lawyer. It's preposterous. Um, investigating the respondent's circumstances. Well, that sounds pretty reasonable, except when we get a little bit further, you'll see. Elic- another one, eliciting the respondent's position concerning the proceedings. Okay? Hmm. Asking the child for her opinion, the seven-year-old's opinion about the legal proceeding going on between their parents. My God. Okay. Continuing to quote, inquiring of such person's physician, psychologist, care provider. That sounds pretty good. You know how many states require that? That was what our listener just wrote. Uh, Amy on the phone has, on the call has, uh, on the show, I should say, called in, has, has talked about the fact that her court-appointed lawyer for her seven-year-old has not done this. The listener just said, hasn't done this in New York. Well, you know how many states inqu- require that the guardian ad litem or the lawyer assigned to a child 
inquires of that child's physician, psychologist, or care provider, three, three of the 50 states in the District of Columbia require that. Interviewing prospective guardian by telephone or in person, four states require that. Okay? Advocating for the, compiling all the information to a report for the court. Meaning, this seems pretty friggin' simple to me. This, this is the requirement for the lawyer representing your child to compile all the information that he or she discovered and present it to the court. Seems like that should be all 50 states, right? Nine states require that. So the ABA's report on this is basically that there just isn't enough detail. Amy, I'm sorry you're going through this and I don't want to make you kind of, uh, uh, you know, an example in an uncomfortable way. But what, do you have a right to now change your child's attorney? Can you position, can you petition for that? Do you know how busy this attorney is? How many other clients you have? Do you get to interview them? Do you have any power in that? I, I don't know. These are all questions that I am inquiring about. I, I'm pretty sure the answer is going to be there's only a limited amount of lawyers that they can appoint and, um, I'm sure I'm going to get some sort of answer along those lines. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, and and to be fair, next week is a two-part series, and next week, Amy, we're going to be hearing from social workers and and guardians, lawyers that are appointed for. Yeah, for I kind of I kind of wish. Yeah, I kind of wish I was on the second show because I wanted to have the last word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I call in, please. And, and, and there is a, a listener who's written in, um, that they think it's important to review the rationale behind these laws. It's got to make sense. I'm paraphrasing here. It's got to make sense at some level. Where's the disconnect from making the law to enforcing it? And is it something mandated by a judge or was it, you know, uh, legislator? Was it voted on by a congressperson? These are great questions. We're going to get to that next week. The point of this show is not to say that, 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 Children shouldn't have guardians or that children shouldn't be legal rep- legally represented because I think I think most of we did a poll. I think most of us would agree that there are circumstances that make sense, of course. But when you're in a custody battle and a child's in the, ch- uh, assigned an independent attorney and there are very few rules really about the way that attorney interacts with the child and they show up at school and pull the child out and start asking them what they want and where they should go and, you know, and it has as I understood, this is universal from, from everybody that I've been speaking to on the social worker and the legal side. There's huge weight. I don't know if you've already experienced this, Amy, but huge weight is placed often by the judge on the view of the, of the child's uh, court-assigned court lawyer or guardian. Have you experienced that yet? Absolutely. I already have. Uh, with this, pre, this last meeting, with the pre-trial, I felt as if she had way too much weight and clout in, in what she had to say and, and swaying of which way this could go. And it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't feel good. I'll tell you that much. I felt um, invasive and uh, blindsided and was not prepared. I, I hope that a clinical social worker or a, a legal guardian that works with children in family court is listening will tell us why we've got it all wrong as 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 parents that have dealt with this or seeing other parents deal with it. Please write in. Please call in. 
next week we'll get your opinion kind of as guests on the show, but in real time that would be that would be great. I want to read a couple of other uh, comments here, Amy, and, and I know that during the last ad break, I hope you don't mind me saying so, you wrote me a, a text um, saying that you really needed to hear what that last listener wrote so you feel like you're not alone in this, and I hope that others listening going through this will feel less alone. There are advocacy organizations on this issue, and uh, you got to know all of your rights as, as well. And one listener um, simply uh, writes, uh, wrote a, a bunch, I'm going to take a, a, a part of it, um, and they wonder how either parent can know what the child needs if they're not present. Uh, what the, This listener wonders what happens if the lawyer gives bad advice to the child or simply makes a mistake. We all make mistakes as parents. And, you know, what are the consequences that listener I don't know. This listener is David. Said that, you know, he hasn't said I can't say his name. I don't know, David. I don't know what the consequences are. I do know having been through legal processes myself, not particularly in family court, but other situations that it's very hard for lawyers to be accountable because often they're just say, hey, we're doing, doing, doing our best. Much harder to have malpractice in the law than in medicine, for example. Statistically, you know, eight to ten times as difficult to prove legal malpractice. Uh, David also says simply a six-year-old client, maybe they're talking about their own child, I don't know, is not a client. It's a moldable mind. And Amy, I think that's was the original genesis of, of me asking you to be on the program. It's mm-hmm. a weird question, but you're a child of four and you, your, your eldest is already kind of, an, is, is not kind of, is an adult. How moldable is your seven-year-old? How, you know, some children Extremely. Talk to us about that. <laughs> Extremely moldable. I mean, from day to day, it's, it's the changing fads, it's the influence of peers, it's, it's ever-changing, and she's so uh, impressionable right now and so easily persuaded. And I know from – and by her parents, of course. She's, she looks up to me. She looks up to her father, and she also doesn't want to disappoint or hurt either one of us. And so she's going to tell both of us what we want to hear, and it's heartbreaking to, to, to see her struggle with that. And um, that's why I'm on the show. I'm hoping that this does bring some light to it and give me some answers and some guidance as to what is the best way to navigate this. Um, I, I am no novice at parenting and co-parenting. However, this is uh, this is just a whole different uh, ball of wax this time. So is your seven-year-old child, is, does she try to kind of please both parents? It's often the... Yes. And so have you had, have you had the opportunity, I'm playing armchair psychologist, so please forgive me. (laughs) Have you had an opportunity to kind of observe that with other adults in her life as she kind of generally tries to, 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 to please adults? Some kids don't. Some kids are the opposite, very, very rebellious. Yes, I think mostly I've seen that with her interaction with her older siblings or older cousins, uh, people that are, you know, same thing. She looks up to, they're an older figure, and she will definitely try to 
you know, change her, you know, the way she talks or the way she dresses or uh, her opinions to match up with whoever she is um, admiring at that time. So is, is, is it fair to say, going back to the point you made earlier, that one of your biggest concerns is that in dealing with this lawyer that she'll try to, like, say what she thinks the lawyer wants to hear or, or kind of please the lawyer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Have you spoken, I know you're adversaries in court, but have you spoken to your daughter's father? Is he also concerned about your daughter having, you know, kind of you guys lost autonomy in that and your in your, your daughter having independent legal representation? That I, I don't know. I have not talked to him uh for a long time. It's probably been several months since I've spoken to him directly. We've only been communicating through our lawyers. And it's it's funny because I I actually actually ran into him at the store today at the gas station and I saw him and he didn't see me. I saw him walking out and I was like, Oh, he's probably gonna see my car out there and sure enough he I I ducked like behind a counter, you know, a little shelf space, and I see him walk back in, looking around, like, oh, you know, maybe she's in here, maybe I can talk to her. And I just, I just wasn't, uh, it just wasn't the right timing. I wasn't ready. I feel like it's still best to just keep it in the courts at this time because of um, just the direction that our conversations always have ended up in the in the past, which has been, you know, verbally abusive, psychologically abusive, all that horrible yeah. stuff, but. In researching this this topic of legal appointed rep, uh, law, uh, sorry, court appointed legal representation of minors, one of the complexities that consistently yeah. comes up is that to change out that appointed lawyer, often you need consent from both parents, and those are parents that in these situations mm-hmm. are adversaries in court, and it's probably hard mm-hmm. to consent about anything. So you end up defaulting right. to whoever is assigned. Very few, exactly under five percent of guardians, uh, legal guardians, guardians ad litem, or or uh, lawyers assigned for for children in family court are switched out. And the the speculation is it's mostly because of that, because it requires consent from both sides. Mm-hmm. However, there right. are exceptions to that, and I just want to say that we did have a uh, a lawyer write in. That says, as a parent in most states, the law allows you to disqualify an appointed guardian ad litem one time if you want, I guess you can't keep doing it, but if you file an application yeah. to disqualify, but that application has to be filed within a very short required limited time period following the appointment and they are difficult to be granted. So I guess you should look at that in New York. I don't know if this applies to New York, but there are, I guess, disqualification opportunities. It sounds to me contextually like that's from one side. Amy Martin, thanks for being on Equal Footing, talking about court-appointed legal representation of children, in this case, your seven-year-old daughter. I have some other questions for you, but we're going to take our last ad break and then call her on line three. We'll also take you. Thanks for being patient. We'll be right back. The way she tells me I'm worse and she is so let's let's talk about one of our other sponsors for a sec here on Equal Footing. That's Mechanical Art Capital. I want to give you a little bit of a difference. As many of you listeners know about Mechanical Art, this is a company that provides financing for watch dealers and people that have collections of watches. You can actually also use it for appraising watches that you may have found in like an estate, for example, an inheritance and so forth. We're getting 
seeing a, a number of those types of, of inquiries for this sponsor. And Mechanical Art Capital allows you to get quick cash uh, against watch collections, and it's easy to use. You can get your money in a day, max two. Go to Mechanical Art Capital, download the app on your uh, iOS or your uh, or your Google or sorry your Android device or go to mechanicalartcapital.com it's a very easy system you just upload the information about the uh, about the pieces and then you get a quick appraisal and you decide on the financing you can also call mechanical art capital at 833-209-0972 that's 833-209-0972 Mechanical Art Capital offers, again, one- to two-day financing for watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world, or if you've inherited watches in an estate and you want to get a sense of their value or unlock the cash value in those pieces. Call Mechanical Art Capital, 833-209-0972. I've been caught. All right, you're back on equal footing and our show tonight, End of the Innocence, about when courts appoint lawyers for small children and how that plays out. I don't want to be misunderstood as saying that that's, there's, it's never appropriate. In fact, it may be most of the time appropriate. The question is, how is it regulated? How does it actually happen? As that one listener uh, wrote in, what's the disconnect between a law that seems to make sense and its enforcement, which definitely uh, doesn't? <laughs> um I want to just ask a couple questions that have come, combination of things that I thought and also some, some, some quick questions we've gotten from listeners. Amy, are you having to pay for the lawyer for your nine, your seven year old uh, daughter or is the court paying? The court is paying for that. Okay. And does this, does this lawyer stay with your daughter for a defined period of time or is your daughter now represented for the months or years that the battle may, the, the custody battle may take place? May take, may take. Uh, yeah, she just, no, I guess just is, is going to be the, the lawyer for the extent of the, the time that we are going through this. Which you have a sense of is going to be, what, a, a year or less, more? Hopefully um, March 7th is going to be, that's it, no, no further past that because it's just, I can't oh, well, stand it for this to go on here. Yeah, unfortunately, these things often, <laughs> often go out yeah. much longer than you first think. Right. I hope it ends then. Right. And how often is this lawyer meeting with your, your seven-year-old? Uh, I want to say maybe once before every meeting when we go to court. Okay, so, so not very, not very so often. So before each hearing. And and yeah. where physically does this does the lawyer meet with your child? Um, either at her school or if one of the parents can bring her to her office. Got it. So she show, she'll show up at her school and the you know, principal's office, whatever, will call and take her out of class. Right. Okay. Correct. Let's take a caller here. Caller on line three or on the air talking about court appointed legal representation for for children. Good evening. Is that good evening? Hi, Stan. This is a very sensitive topic. I need to ask this young lady. I feel so bad for you, uh, but I think you know you're not alone. 
in uh, when these things happen. The key factor to me is that I, I really feel for your situation, but the key point is not letting it get to this situation. Was there no way, in any way, you and your husband, obviously you're divorcing or you're separate, could sit down and argue this out? Even if there's mediation, I suspect you might have went through that. Did you go through mediation? I think you probably went through everything, you'll tell me. But to get to this point where the child now becomes, which way does it go? It should never have gotten to that far. Obviously, you know it better than me. Uh, is there any way that you could have not gone this route? Uh, did you go the extra mile? I'm trying to find out. And I'm not blaming you or your I'm, and It's just... Is, a child is now on the line. Yeah, it's a fair question. Stan, stay on the line in case you have a follow-up. So, 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 Amy, uh, how did you get, because you wouldn't have had the lawyer assigned to your daughter if you hadn't actually, you know, going, if you're not actually going to trial, correct? Two words, uh, domestic violence. Okay. Uh, this is an individual that I have not been able to, uh, reason with, talk through, uh, it just hasn't been able to to occur at trials I have. Uh, Physical abuse. Years. Physical abuse. Yes, you name it. Yes, okay. absolutely everything. Sure, sure. Everything. So it was, uh, you know, and I I tried to make it work. I believe that it, it, this is a whole other show that we could do on that. But um, but that would be the reason. I've had effective. Uh, I co-parent very well with my with my other ex-husband. We've raised two sons together. He was like literally a block down for me. I am friends with his new significant other. So it's, it's not a matter of, yeah, absolutely. You want to be able to get to that point with before getting to the courts. But unfortunately, I think it depends on the individual that you're dealing with. Well, one thing I'm uh, getting, once you go to court, it's either a male judge or a female judge. I would suspect you would want a female judge, but there's no guarantee there. I mean, I don't know what percentage in these. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's, no, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I, I did want to ask for a different judge, actually. Um, I wasn't, I haven't been 100% satisfied with the one we currently have, so I expressed Are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to, to do that? I, I am, but this is his rebuttal. My lawyer said back to me, he said, well, you probably, the only other option, which would be a, a female judge, happens to be a lawyer that used to represent my adversary. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to get it's very difficult to get a, a, a different judge uh, in a case the the, 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 the argument for conflict conflict has to be um, airtight. I, I have a question that's kind of a riff on what Stan is asking you, Amy, and I really appreciate your your openness. Um, did your lawyer give you a heads up? That if you went, did, did your lawyer here, you know, him or her say, hey, Amy, listen, I just, you need to know that if we go to court, your, your daughter's going to get assigned a lawyer and you're going to lose, lose control of that advocacy. I guess somewhat, I did have somewhat of a heads up saying, hey, this is what normally happens. This is, I guess, a run of the mill kind of thing, if they think uh, uh, there's a child involved, that they could probably have a conversation with and, uh, and uh, let's appoint them a lawyer and let them have a voice because that's the right thing to do, I guess. Okay. And you obviously you wouldn't have known exactly what the experience was like, but uh, one uh, uh, listener has a question, which I actually had, I meant to ask you, was your one-year-old, is your one-year-old also with the same man or is that a different man? 
it, it is with the same man. Was your one-year-old assigned a guardian or no? He has not been assigned a guardian uh, yet, but uh, it is my concern that if this does get dragged out any longer into, you know, years, God forbid, that eventually he would be appointed a lawyer. Why and, was your seven-year-old girl and, and Stan? Thank you for that call, by the way. I, I, I dropped I dropped you there. Uh, we're getting a little bit of um, sound feedback, so but thank you for for that. The the one-year-old uh, was there an articulated reason by the judge why she was assigning a lawyer to the seven-year-old and not the one-year-old? No, I think it was mainly because we had already had a previous. Uh, court-ordered agreement before coming back to court. So it was she was used previous to an agreement that we had, and then she just came back into the picture again when we couldn't agree on uh, custody. Got it. I can see there was, so there's more dispute around the custody of the seven-year-old than the one-year-old. Yeah. And I, I would say we've gotten several comments here. So a lot of this is obviously a sensitive subject. I'm finding most people seem to be more comfortable here texting uh, in, in a question rather than calling. And that that's understood uh, with respect to the complexity in specifically of your child's age. So we have got a couple comments that said that that um, talking about custody situations with a child was older. And where uh, there were people saying that it was it was helpful and effective. I think there is a we got to acknowledge there's a big difference between a lawyer interacting with a 15 year old than with a seven year old. I also want to um, provide a shout out to a couple of of listeners who have written in about the guardianship system in general and have alerted. Maybe we'll do this in a different show. Alerted me to the fact that the guardianship system, which is where uh, judges appoint legal guardians to uh, people that, that are deemed to, 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 to need it independently. Uh, they're either they're elderly and not competent to find it on their own or their child, as we're talking about on this show, and a judge determines that the child needs independent legal advice. The, there's massive fraud. I've gotten several links to articles about how this is kind of the next big thing after uncovering things like Medicare fraud and so forth. There are attorneys generals in many states that are focused on, on guardianship fraud. So in a weird way, that makes me feel better. Because when I heard Amy's and other stories, I just was floored. And many of you heard earlier on the show, I even got emotional because I, as a father of a nine-year-old, this is just so disturbing. Next week, we're going to hear kind of from the other side. I don't want to make it adversarial, but from social workers and lawyers and uh, who who are trying, who are representing children and working with children in, in family court. Amy Martin, not your real name, but. Thank you for being on equal footing and being so open about this sensitive issue. I hope others in in listening don't feel as alone as they otherwise might. Thank you so much, though. I appreciate it. We'll see you next week. I had no time to choose what I chose to do. Change when we are both so deeply stuck.